0: Thank you, Tana. Thank you, George, for sharing that good word. Uh, we're in the midst here of three weeks focusing on the gospel out of Isaiah. Last week was all about sin and the fundamental problem of humanity, really that deep existential question of what's wrong with us. I mean, in every aspect of our life, there's something wrong. We have, there's no peace. There's no peace within our country, there's no peace within our society, there's no peace within us. And as we looked at last week and as George shared this morning and, and, and we've seen out of Isaiah, the problem is our selfishness, is the problem. It's not our behavior, it's not just the rulers that we have over us or the governments or that if we could just be better people or act better, we would this world would change, but rather there is this problem deep within us where sin, biblically is that attempt to fill ourselves up with anything other than God, to, make, to get, grab hold of something that would give us peace. And we look to so many things in our life that we think will bring us peace. Anything other than Christ that you hold on to to make you happy is sin. Even living religiously good lives, if it's an attempt to make yourself be happy and to give yourself peace, it's wrong its selfishness and it leads to violence and oppression and hurt of others the fruit of it we just see it all the time it leads to this injustice on little levels and on large levels and it leads to the immorality in our life as well it leads to ultimately to this lack of peace the loss of peace in our life and the loss of peace in the world now why that matters and why we emphasize that so much is that you know much like George shared this morning here too if we understand the fundamental problem of the world, the fundamental problem is not behaviors. The fundamental problem of the world is not the oppressive systems that are over us. That if the fundamental problem of the world is our inability to be satisfied and our lack of peace and, not, and constantly looking for things to fill us up, it is a tremendous leveler of humanity. That, like George said, I mean, the rich and the poor, I mean, we are the same desperate need. We may look like our lives have everything, but we are desperately hollow inside and nothing fills that, right? And we know this to be true. We hear the testimonies of it all the time from the rich and the powerful of how they don't have, you know, at the end of it all, they just don't feel fulfilled, but we don't believe it because we feel like, well, if I had what they had, I'd actually be fulfilled. But the problem is there's nothing in this world that can ever fill us. There's nothing that can ever give us that peace and that satisfaction, so we jump to thing, to thing, to thing. Everyone is in that same desperate situation. Everyone has the same fundamental need, which is huge, right? Because as Christians, especially in America, we've had this tendency to present to the world this picture of, you need Jesus to fix your life, and then you could be like us in the church who have our act together if only you could just, if, you know, if you can get Jesus in your life, then he'll fix things and then you'll be like us. We're in the position of strength. Those outside of the church are in the position of weakness. No, the gospel, no. We're all in the position of weakness. We all are in this desperate need to be filled up and to be satisfied. Just because we think the church will fill our needs, that doesn't satisfy us either. And many of us have experienced the pain and the disappointment of hoping that church will fill us. That house church will fill us. The people in the church will fill us up. Nothing. Nothing can fill us. And we're all in that desperate same place of in need of a Savior. Which then is such good news then for the gospel because if we're all in the same place, if we all have the same fundamental problem, then we all also have the same Savior. We're all looking for the same Savior who will come and who will save us. And if we recognize this, it helps us then to pay attention to what is it that we're expecting from the Savior. Our vision of sin, what we think is wrong with us and wrong with the world, affects what type of Savior we're looking for. And what we see out of Isaiah is really this tremendous picture of Christ. And so the fundamental question that we want to really talk about today, so last week it was about what's wrong with us, we need to then be very clear about the Savior that we believe in. What did Jesus actually do? What does Jesus actually offer? Who is Jesus then? What is it that He did for us? And what difference does that make in our lives? And why do we need it so much? Because everyone in the world is looking uh, for a Savior. What me we talk about? Everybody recognizes this fundamental problem in the world that there is something wrong with us, and everybody is looking for some sort of savior to come and who will save the world. Everyone has a position on Jesus. If you've done any sort of efforts in evangelism, I mean, everybody knows about Jesus in our culture. Everyone believes in Jesus to some extent. Either he was a historical figure, not everyone believes he was the son of God. Many believe he's the son of God, but it still doesn't mean that they believe in the gospel. But there's, everybody has a perspective towards Jesus, and we need to be clear about what it is that we actually believe about him. We can kind of roughly break the the groups down into a few different categories, You know, one main group that looks at Jesus from a more naturalistic perspective or a more irreligious or secular perspective, however you kind of want to word it, looks at Jesus and they look at Jesus and they look at him as an example of how to live a good life. Jesus is the example of how to live at peace in this world. This is the life we were all meant to live. You know, when you look at the life of Christ, you say, wow, this is, a, this is it. He did it. This, he's got, this is how you love people. You love people the way that Jesus loved people. You challenge the authority figures the way that Jesus challenged the authority figures. Turning over tables and speaking the truth. You know, championing for the poor and for the oppressed. That He's an example for us. He shows us how to fix things. Right? If we could just be more like Christ... If we did what he did, if we acted the way that he acted, this world would get better. Our society would be better. We would have peace. I would have peace if I could be more like Jesus, if I acted more like Jesus. There's also a very religious perspective towards Jesus that doesn't look at Christ just as a moral teacher or an example of how to live. But a more religious view of Jesus is one, and this is probably be true for almost all of us if we grew up in a Christian environment or within evangelicalism, you view Jesus as the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is how I'm forgiven. Jesus makes me right with God, right? There was something wrong. There was a separation between me and God, and so Jesus was that bridge. Jesus came so that I could be back in a right relationship with him. And that if I just ask for forgiveness, if I really mean it, you know, that I will be brought back into this right relationship with God. That he'll let me in. Jesus came to let me back in to heaven, so to speak. To let me back into a relationship with the Father. That ultimately, Jesus makes me right with God. Right? He fixes me. This very religious viewpoint. And that if I can just maintain my relationship with God, I will be at peace. That if it's not about, again, this like following Jesus' example that brings peace, but in a religious viewpoint, it's if I maintain my relationship with God, I'll be at peace. If I can do, if I do my devotions, if I read my Bible, if I go to church, if I maintain this relationship, I'll have peace in my life. If I can just, Keep doing these things that Christ has come to do. But the problem with both of these views is that they're basically the same thing. They both view the Savior really in the same way a Savior who does something for us, a Savior who comes to fix the situation. He's either a good example, a teacher, this means of salvation, he's a way for us to improve. He's a way for me to improve my life, a way to improve this world if we just followed him. We esteem him, we believe in him, we even follow him for what he did and what he does for us. And then it's all about what Jesus can do for me. Right? I, I want the results that Jesus gives, but I don't necessarily want him. Right? I want what he offers me. I want that right relationship with God if I'm religious, right? I want my guilt and shame removed. I want to know that God loves me. And if that means I got to pray, then I'm going to pray. If that means I got to come up to the altar, I'll do that. I mean, whatever I got to do to get that peace, I'll do it. Or if I'm more irreligious, I'm more secular, whatever that life is that I need to live that'll bring peace, I mean, I'll, I'll do it. Whatever I need to do. And if Jesus is that way, if he gives the teaching, if I just follow his teaching and it'll bring me peace, I'll do it. But in both views, we look at Jesus as a means to an end, that he provides us something. He gives me this peace that I'm desperate for, but I'm not really that interested in or unsure about him himself, which really does tie well into the, you know, then you get into these passages like Isaiah, or like George was saying, or you read the Gospels, and you get this picture of, an ex- of this rejected and despised Savior. And it really challenges us with a lot of these views. Because if you look at again at that the text, the prophet Isaiah is speaking of Jesus here who is to come, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. What did Jesus actually do? He gave himself for us. He's not a moral example. He's not... This means to an end but he comes to give himself he took our griefs and our sorrows he lived the life that we all want to live when you look at the life of christ he did it he lived a life of peace and of love protecting and loving the oppressed calling out the oppressor doing what is right he actually fully pleased god he did no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth the prophet says He did it. He lived the life we all long for and believe will actually bring happiness and peace. But what did he experience? He suffered for the life that we all actually live. Instead of receiving the praise and honor that he was due for really being the best human who has ever lived, Instead of that, instead of being admired and held up, he wasn't held up as an example, the way that the secular world wants to hold him up. He wasn't begged to teach the people or asked to lead everyone. Instead, he was despised and rejected. He was the victim of oppression and of judgment cut off from the people. He suffers everything that we deserve he was treated like a liar, even though he told the truth. He was the victim of oppression, even though he did no violence. He was cut off from God, even though he fully pleased him. He lived the life we were meant to live, but took upon himself the results of the lives that we actually lived. Right? He took on that punishment for a life that was not his. He was crushed for our lives, not for his life. He lives this life that, he's all, that we've all been called to, but he died instead for the life that we live. He didn't come just to be an example. He didn't come to fix us, he came to take on the darkness, to take on the violence of the world, to bear sin and selfishness. He took our place, is what he did. And this matters, what we believe about jesus and what he actually did for us matters tremendously the savior you believe in affects the way that you live if jesus is just your example he will crush you we, you will never live up to that example no one can i can't even live up to the example of anybody else let alone jesus the son of god and what you end up doing is you end up picking and choosing parts of his life that I will follow and the parts that I can't, I won't. Or I'll maybe pick up a little bit of Buddha here or a little bit of Confucius there or Steve Jobs. Or I'll just pick. I'll pick my examples because there's some things I can do and some things I can't. So this one I'll pick and this one I won't. But you just, that's just the way you end up doing it. Because if you try to follow this example in your life, you try to live this life, it will, it will crush you and you will feel that weight and the disappointment. If you look at Jesus as just a means to self-improvement, he's going to disappoint you. Right? My problem hasn't gone away. I've been a Christian now for how long? I still, when am I going to get fixed? If he was supposed to come and fix me, when is it going to happen, Jesus? Right? Well, maybe I should give up on this whole Christianity thing because he doesn't seem to be working. And the fundamental problem for most of us, and for, well, really all of us, if whether you're a believer in Christ or not, is that whatever view we hold of Jesus, we may believe in him, but we still seek our own peace in our life with other things. The religious view says, right, Jesus died for my sin, and that's great. Now I know I'm going to heaven. But to get peace in my life... All right, now that's up to me. And I will still do what I need to do to get my peace. If that means really working hard with my wife and my kids, if that means working hard for the church, if that means making money, if that means whatever I, I that's where I get my peace. Jesus gives me my eternal security. I give myself peace. And we never find it. And, we st- and we're just tired and exhausted of trying to maintain our Peace. But what if he actually gave himself for us, like it's described in Isaiah? If he has given himself for us, what does that mean? Well, it means that he didn't come to give us peace, but that rather he becomes our peace. If you look at that ending at Tanner Red, the hope of the gospel, what Jesus came to do is he took our place. Not to fix us, but to give us himself. We get God as a result of what Jesus did. Because he lived this life that I was supposed to live, because he died for the life that I live, he freely gives us the credit from his life, which means we get God. Look at those verses again here at the end. Sing, O barren one who did not bear... Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. What an outrageous promise. That someone who could not bear children, which in the ancient world, that's the worst scenario to be in in life. You have no security, no family, no name, no hope. Sing. Sing. And sing, a lot, right? this is cry forth in joy, because you are in a better position than the one who has many children. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be spread, stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations, and will, and will the people, the desolate cities, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed, be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. What's changed Because of what Jesus did, not our circumstances. The barren woman is still barren. I'm still in the same spot that I was before I believed in Jesus. Our world didn't get magically better, our systems didn't get fixed. And we'll talk about that next week what we're looking forward to the new Jerusalem that is to come, when everything will be fixed. But because of Jesus' death and resurrection, I'm not fixed. This world isn't fixed. The problem still exists. But something far better and far less expected happened because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Rather than getting fixed, my greatest desires have been fulfilled. My circumstances haven't changed, but what I've been longing for my whole life has been provided to me. What this whole world is longing for has finally come. Jesus isn't just a means to an end. He's the end and of itself. He becomes the fulfillment of our hearts. This whole world is just longing for peace. I'm longing for peace. You're lo- we just want satisfaction and joy, peace, to be at peace in our lives, in the world. And here Christ says, "I am that peace. I took your place. So that I could be with you. That you could have me as your husband. Not just as a savior, not just as a king, not just as this distant God who died for us and who's coming again. And that we just hope to please in this life. But to have as our, as our husband. He's dealt with our fundamental problem. Our inability to find that lasting joy and peace. And he's given us a lasting joy and peace. Hopefully you see how different this picture of Jesus is. Jesus as a husband is a very different picture than what typically is presented or believed in in our culture and our world. If Jesus, again, is just an example for us of of how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to love people, we will be crushed by it. There's always these constant ups and downs, feeling good about yourself when things are going really well. Feeling terrible about ourselves when we do terrible things. Guilt for not taking our sins seriously, guilt for not taking the sins of others very seriously. But this is feeling of, if I could just live better, then I would finally be better. If Jesus is just our means of salvation, if we think that Jesus just came to make it possible for us to go to heaven or for for us to be in a relationship with God, if he just died for us, and I think evangelical Christians have done a really good job of emphasizing that, and there's truth in that. It was in Isaiah, he did. He bore my sin. He took my guilt. He did die for us. But if that's it, if we just view him as a way of getting to heaven one day or as a way of being in a right relationship with God the Father, it creates a legalistic spirit within us This fear of needing to pay him back or live up to the sacrifice that he did, which creates a very ungenerous spirit in us, a harshness towards others, an oversensitivity to criticism, a deep insecurity within ourselves and a jealousy of others when we see others enjoying blessings. We have to follow certain rules and create systems of performance Ultimately, just being crushed by the weight of our hopes and of these rules. Because ultimately, we doubt God's goodness. We know he died for us, and we thank him for that. But then we feel oppressed by him (laughs) that he would require so much of us now. And we give back to him, but just begrudgingly, we do the minimum that we need to do, that we think we need to do to appease this God who died for us. How do you see Jesus? We have to be very clear with this. If Jesus is your example, are you trying to live up to his teachings? Do you look at him as just one of many good teachers and good examples to follow in life? Is he just a sacrifice for you? Is he your means of getting to heaven? Is he a means of getting your life together? That's For many of us, we came to Christ, we came to the church because we reached the point where our life was out of control. And you say, man, if I, could, I, I need some Jesus so my life can get back under control. Well, then there's truth in there. But there's also a crushing weight of that and the work that needs to be done to constantly maintain that. And I need to keep doing, I need to keep working at this, I need to keep working and trying to get my life together that Jesus is the means by which I will become happy. It'll be, if I can just go to church enough, if I can just do enough religious things, I will be at peace. Or is Jesus your husband? That imagery of Christ as the husband, as the groom, it's not just in Isaiah but it's in the New Testament as well it's in the gospels and it's in revelation the church is the bride and Christ is the groom it's a very powerful image and it's one that really causes us to reevaluate our relationship with god he is my groom he is my husband do you see christ as your source of fulfillment and joy as the only thing that can actually satisfy the longings of your heart. If you ask yourself honestly, right, when do you experience the greatest amount of peace in your life? When are you at peace the most? If you're finding the most peace in your life apart from Christ, it's sin. You were never meant to find peace there. If you say, I find the most peace when I'm with my children... You will crush your children with your expectations of them to meet your needs. Say, I'm at at the most peace when I'm with my spouse. You will crush your spouse with those expectations. I feel the most peace when I'm successful at work. I've had a good week of work. You will crush yourself with those needs to always be working hard and to be productive. When do you feel peace? When do you feel joy and fulfillment? When was the last time you tasted and saw the goodness of Christ? There's such a powerful picture of that throughout Scripture, that Jesus is not something, someone that we just believe in and that we just have to accept or pray a prayer for and then we go to heaven, but that our maker is our husband, that we can taste and see him that we can enjoy him now and forever, that he offers us in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of this life, he offers us lasting peace and joy and great comfort and hope. Our problem, and much like George was mentioning, in our society and culture and the way in which the church has gone about its business we've created very comfortable lives in which we feel like we can maintain the peace. I'm okay. I've got it under control. I don't need this in my life because I'm pretty well, I've got it. You don't have it. It, The reality is, unless you're getting your joy and your satisfaction from Christ, you don't have it. We're trying to maintain the peace constantly through the ways that we do it, but it's going to crush us, and we have this melancholy and tiredness. I think anybody who's been a Christian for a a period of time just feels tired. You feel tired of it. You know, you go through seasons where you're like, I'm just tired of this. You know, can we just take a month off from doing this whole church stuff? could I just take a break from all of these things because it's I'm just tired, I'm exhausted. Or from work or from family, we just get tired. Maintaining the peace on our own, maintaining our hopes and our joy is exhausting. You just can't do it. And Christ is longing for us, calling for us to turn to him and experience peace and joy. But only as we see how Jesus freely took our sins upon himself and gave us the credit for his life so that he could actually satisfy us will we be freed from our selfishness and our tiredness. He lived the life that we were meant to, but he died for the life that we actually live to give us credit and to give us himself. In doing so, Christ is our peace. We don't present Christ to this world as a means to the end. If you could just if you would just believe in Jesus. Oh man, you're li- no, you just need Jesus because I need Jesus. We all are in desperate need of that peace and satisfaction that only Jesus can give. And we're always in need to be corrected by that and to redirect our hopes and our longings back to Christ so we can finally be satisfied. He longs to fill us with himself. We just need to turn back to him and experience and taste and see how good the Lord is. Let me pray.